morning, everybody. How's, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Everybody on this holiday weekend? Everybody got plans for tomorrow? No? Okay, neither do I. All right. Now, glad to have everybody here. If you are visiting with us, we are honored to have you as our guest. And uh, we are in a series, as we've been talking about, and uh, Robert Rusher actually kind of teed this up for me today in his class in here. I was listening to him back there, and uh, he was talking about the Spirit. And then uh, Robert Redding talked about the Spirit, and Dean talked about the Spirit. And so, yes, we are talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so let me ask you a question, just kind of get us started off. How many of you remember a time in your life when you were beyond thirsty? Just think back, think back to that time in your life when you think, man, there was no water around. It was like you were almost famished. It was like you were maybe overheated. You just fill in the blanks. You just fill in the blanks. Now, when you did find that water, when you found that water, how refreshing was that water? I mean, it was like, oh, this is awesome. And do you remember those first gulps of that? Now, I know I've probably told this story before. I'm getting to that place where I've been here long enough to where my stories kind of repeat these days. So, uh, let me tell you a story. Uh, my dad had taken 20, 20 of us from the children's home to the Wichita Mountains to go to the Holy City. This was back when it was okay to cram 20 kids into a 15-passenger van. And not one of us had a seatbelt. I know, child endangerment, I get that, but this was back then. But we had a flat right before we got there, and there was no spare. And of course, this was a hot July day. So two of the older kids actually jumped into the car with a stranger, stranger danger, I know, this was back then, jumped in the car to get their tire fixed. And so they went off to a town to get the tire fixed, and then they were coming back. And so dad thought it was a good idea that we would walk the two or three miles, or ten, as I think, but I don't think it was that long to the holy city, and we didn't have water bottles. I mean, who in the world had heard of water bottles back then, right? Those three miles for an eight-year-old were difficult. And I wasn't even the youngest on the trip. In my mind, it's still the longest and hardest journey I've ever taken. That's in my mind for an eight-year-old, okay? So that's where I was. And I remember, though, the old water fountain there at the holy city and the water that flowed from it. We couldn't get enough of it. We kept drinking and we kept drinking and we kept drinking, waiting for the return of that van. And none of us died. Not a one of us died. But I can tell you that my siblings who went that day can remember that trip with clarity. They remember it. Now, in the book of John, in the book of John, the water motif, the water analogy that goes through the book of John, it, it just goes throughout that gospel. In fact, there are 25 times where water is mentioned in the book of John, in the gospel. 11 times it talks about wells, five times, no, five times it talks about wells, and 11 times it talks about drink. And then if you add baptism in there, which is another 13 times, and you talk about washings, which is another 13 times, there are actually 67 references to water 
in the gospel of John. In no other gospel, no other gospel even comes close to that. And three times, three times in the gospel, the water is described as living water. Living water. No other gospel uses that term living water. There's only one other reference in the New Testament to living water. And that's in Revelation. Of course, who wrote that? The one who penned John is the one who penned Revelation. So John the Apostle wrote that as well. And do I believe, do I believe that there is actually a connection between this living water and the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that is yes. But not just because there's four times that it says living water. It's because Jesus says that. So in John chapter 7 is where we are today. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And I want you to look at Jesus' words and how John describes living water after that. Here we go. And thank you, Mason, for reading this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Spirit. This is what John is saying to us. Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, so again, this is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And my question is, is why should we care? Why should we come to him and drink? Okay, here's another reflection question for all of us. When it comes to your life, and this is an analogy, okay, so you're going to have to kind of catch it. When it comes to your life, what are you drinking? When it comes to your life, what are you drinking? What are you drinking? Think about that now. What are you consuming to satisfy your desires? That what you desire, what are you putting in you to fill up that which you desire? Now, I want you to remind you again that what Jesus is asking us to drink what he's asking us to satisfy our thirst with is this living water. And the people in the audience that day, they would have understood that this is not a new idea. This is not a new idea. In fact, what Jesus is doing here is he is asking the crowd to think about the scriptures, actually to think about the text, because it's in the text. How we, are th how we satisfy our thirst, whatever that may be, goes back to the text, it's not new. Eve satisfied her thirst by what she desired. How are we, how are you and I, satisfying that thirst with inside of us? And that's the question that we're trying to answer today. How do we satisfy that thirst that is inside of us? All right, listen to the scripture which Jesus is to referring. It's in Jeremiah chapter 2. Listen to this. Has a nation changed its gods? even though they are no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, 
Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Okay, so how many of us, how many of us are digging our own wells only for them to come up dry? We spend a lifetime digging, hoping to find that which satisfies, that which brings profit. And in the end, many of our cisterns are broken. And all we had hoped for, all we had hoped to obtain from our little well, all it does is bring emptiness. And many of you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Some of us may be there right now. You may be looking for something and your well is dry. You're looking for something to focus your life. Something like it gives direction and purpose to fulfill that. And we wonder why our well is dry. We thought we were digging. We thought we were digging. Whatever we were digging would sustain us, but it hasn't, has it? It hasn't sustained you. And right now, some of you, your well may be collapsing. And how do I know this? Because some of us have been there. Many of us in this room have been there. This analogy mirrors a portion of many of our lives. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, who is a fountain of life. Amen? But thanks be to God for that. Jesus Christ takes the stark reality of our emptiness and restores and builds back the well of our lives and fills it with an ever-flowing spring in our lives. And what is amazing to me is that Jesus stands up and he says, what does he say? Anyone who comes to me, anyone, anyone who comes to me, Jesus is offering this to everyone, everyone, not just in this room, but everyone. He wants everyone to have the spirit of God within them. He wants that, and he's, he's claiming that everybody, he wants everybody to do that at that feast. And even though, even though there were actually people in the audience who were hating him at that time, verse 30 and 32 actually tells you that the chief priests and the Pharisees send officers so that they arrest Jesus. And these officers are standing in the crowd as Jesus is doing this, ready to pounce on Jesus, but they don't. Why? Why? Because it says this in verse 46. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. Jesus gives an open invitation to this living water, to anyone in the crowd, to anyone in the crowd, even the soldiers who were tasked with to arrest him, even the Pharisees, even the Sadducees, even the chief priests. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is available to all people. Yet, there's a requirement. There's a requirement. This is good. This is really good. There's a requirement. And here's the requirements. The requirement is, is that for that living water, the first requirement is that you have to be thirsty. You have to be thirsty. 
You have to be wanting this. And here's the second requirement. You have to be willing to drink from the fountain of life, from Jesus Christ. That's it. The one requirement is that one is thirsty, willing to drink from the fountain of life. Look at the words again. Look at the words again. Here they are. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So, how many of us are thirsty today? Do you get the analogy? I mean, how many of us are thirsty? How many of us today are willing and wanting to drink from the fountain of life? There's this craving within inside of us, this source that we want that comes from above, which fills our hearts and souls and minds. The Spirit who is our comforter, our teacher, our helper, the Spirit of truth is available to all of us. And as we asked, and as we said last week, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God is a living word which is flowing within us. The one source and the only requirement, the only requirement for this gift, this gift that he offers us is that we are thirsty and willing to drink from his fountain, the fountain of life, longing to be filled with this Spirit, longing to be filled with his words in our life. You may say, but James... James, wait, time out. My well, my well is beyond repair. If you knew what was going on in my life, if you knew what I'm covering up, if you knew the honest truth of my life and not the facade I present at church, I don't think my well is repairable. Okay, before I respond to that statement, I'm going to kind of do that with this next story. There are two other references in the book of John to living water. Both are found in the same chapter in John chapter 4 with Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. Now, I don't have time. I don't have time to go dig into this whole, this whole chapter because this is a wonderful story. And I hope you are familiar with this text. And if not, get your Bible out, turn to John 4, and read it this afternoon. Read it. All right, so here's some background. Remember who the Samaritans are. The Samaritans were that northern tribe, that remnant of the northern tribe, the, the Jewish kingdom that was there, that had intermarried with the foreigners when the chiefs and everybody else was carted off into captivity in 79 729 B.C. These Samaritans also had a place of worship on a mountain that they deemed as their place of worship called Mount Gerizim. They also rejected all the Old Testament except their version, their version of the first five books of Moses. The animosity between the Jew and the Samaritans were centuries old. Centuries old. The text says in John 4, Jesus had to had to pass through Samaria on his way to Galilee. All right, so we pick up the story, and Jesus is actually sitting on the well as the disciples go into town to purchase food. And if you're not aware, there's a Samaritan woman that comes to draw water from the well, and Jesus wants to give her this gift, this gift that we've been talking about, the gift of God, 
the gift of God that we just read about, just heard from Dean. All right, here it is. Let's read these words. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, this is the scandal of all scandals. You do realize that, right? The scene that you're seeing right here, this is the scandal of all scandals. You have a man speaking to a woman at a well. That would not have happened. You have a Jew speaking to a Samaritan woman. That would not have happened. And Jesus knows who this woman is. He knows who this woman is. She has had five husbands, and the man she is living with is not her husband. She's a harlot. She's a Samaritan adulteress. She is promiscuous. This woman is spiritually dead. This woman is enslaved by sin, and she is enslaved by flesh. Why in the world would Jesus offer this woman the gift of God? Why in the world would the Savior of the world be willing to give this depraved and perverse woman living water? This woman's well was dry, broken, and empty. And let me ask you again, how many of you? right now, have a dry, empty, and broken well. And guess what Jesus does? He comes to fill that well with living water. He comes to fill that well with living water. Look at John chapter 4, 11 and following. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the well water. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life, the Spirit of God. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be, get thirsty and have to come in here and draw water. All right, right now, right now, this woman is, it's easy to see why people would give up on this woman, right? I mean, she's just not getting it. It seems like it's hopeless. He, he, Jesus is trying to talk and she's still thinking about the physical and he's talking about the spiritual. But I love this about Jesus. I love this about Jesus. I, there's a lot of things I love about Jesus. But here's one point I think we all need to know. Okay, here's the one point I think we all need to know. Don't be too quick to give up on people. Don't be too quick to give up on people. What is Jesus' goal for this woman? What's his goal for this woman? He desires her to be filled he desires her to be a worshiper, one who is filled with this living water, the spirit of truth, with the water of life. God is seeking to bring this harlot, this harlot, this sinner, into the presence of God. The gift of God is for everyone who is thirsty, for everyone who desires to drink deep from the well. All right, we go on. Jesus says, woman, she, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming 
when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. And for those whose wells are dry here today, who are broken and empty, God is seeking to fill our empty and broken cisterns with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. God desires to fill us with the Spirit of God, to fill us with this living water. This is the gift He gives to all who call upon His name, who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is seeking worshipers. Why? Why is He seeking worshipers? Because, listen, listen, worship is not merely an external act accomplished at a certain time in a certain place. Worship is foremost an experience of the heart. It is not an act completed to fulfill five functions which can often be empty and worthless in God's eyes because there's no spirit in it and often there's no truth. And these are just acts performed and we know this to be true because many of us have done that. We just go through the motions. We just go through the motions. Worship is having, listen, worship is having a true perception of who I am in light of who he is. That's what worship is. When I see myself in the light of God's graciousness, in the light of God's righteousness, in the light of God's forgiveness and love toward me, I can't help but worship Him. I can't help but bow before Him in praise. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who has been saved by the blood of the Lamb, who has been given an incredible gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit to walk with me, and to be with me forever. How can I not but worship him in spirit and in truth? And as I've studied through the Gospels, Jesus' instructions on whom we are to worship and how we're to worship is pretty evident. Here's what he says. This is Jesus' words. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. These are the words of Jesus that he spoke how we're to worship, and, and we're supposed to worship God, and we're supposed to wa- worship the Son. That's what Revelation 5 said. Look at this verse. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We lift our voices in worship to God the Father, God the Son, and we do that how? How do we do that? How do we do that? Here's the instruction which comes from the mouth of Jesus. This is what he said. It's a command of Jesus. Here's the command. God is spirit and the worshipers must spirit must worship in the spirit and in truth. So James, how are we supposed to worship in spirit and in truth? I know, but James, what does that look like? Well, worship me in spirit and in truth. 
I know, but James, does it come with three songs that are pray? Worship me in spirit and in truth. This is his instruction, his command. Jesus is very specific about how we are to worship. Worship, again, is not defined by a time or a place. Yes, do we come together and worship as a family of God? Absolutely, we do. And we lift our voices in praise to the Father. But understand what worship is a lot more than just what goes on in this room. It is. And remember from last week, the words spoken by God are the words spoken by Jesus and the words the Spirit lays upon our hearts. We are to worship in spirit and in truth. We're not to add to or take away from God's words. And they, my question is, is, can we do this? Can we do this? And we must do this. God is seeking worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worshipers who are filled with the Spirit of God, this living water. Jesus encounters, listen, Jesus encounters a well that is broken and empty in the heart of a Samaritan harlot. That's what he does. He desires to give her living water to fill her life with the Spirit of God, this gift that he offers to all of us. Her life is changed through an encounter with the holy. And she goes off, she goes off, and she tells everybody she can tell, see, she's going to tell them about this man. And God, listen, God comes to us in our brokenness. He comes to us in our brokenness and in our heartache and in our pain and confusion. And he comes in our joys and he comes in our sorrows and he desires to fill our empty wells with living water, a spring of water welling up to eternal life because we have met the Father, because we have seen the Savior, and the source has changed our lives. How can we, again, how can we not worship in spirit and in truth? No cistern, no cistern, no well in this, in this room right now. No cistern, no well in this room Right now, you're getting the analogy, right? In this room right now, is beyond repair. There's not one well in this room that is beyond repair. That which is going on in our homes, that's which, that which is going on in our lives, and in the dark recesses of our hearts, can be restored. That which is covered up, which gnaws at our hearts and our souls, can be brought to light in the presence of the holy. And this gift, this gift, this gift can be a spring of life restoring that which is damaged. It convicts us. It teaches us. It's our helper. But it requires something. It requires something from all of us. It requires that we be thirsty enough to drink from the fountain of life. And guess what? We can come. We can come just as we are. Yes, we come broken here to be mended. We come wounded to be healed. We come desperate to be rescued. We come empty 
to be filled. We come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Jesus Christ the Lamb. We come, brothers and sisters, just as we are to our Savior who says, come to me. I will give you life. And I will give it to you abundantly. And I will give you the Spirit who will help you and live in you and help you grow. Will you come to him today? Let's stand and sing.